to the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast. Today we're chatting with Davis Wynn about how he has created a $100,000 a month business and how he did this in less than two years. And part of that period, he was working full time. There's some really interesting parts to Davis's story. And I like the way that he was able to validate his idea in a weekend. And the way that he started his business without a website, a Facebook page, or even a company name, basically for the first year of his business. So he was being really careful about where he spent his, his limited resource of time and he was forced to do that because he was working full-time and he was just working on this business on the weekends and towards the end of the podcast we talk about Davis's why so the reason that he is in this business and what he wants to achieve out of it and I think he articulated this really well and it might not be what you think so listen in and I'm sure there'll be some actionable takeaways from Davis's story. Hey, Davis, welcome to the Bean Ninjas podcast. Well, thanks for having me, especially on your birthday too. <laughs> yeah, we, we planned this well in advance. And um, yeah, it, it's fun to be talking to you. And we were chatting prior to recording. And I was mentioning the, the DCX Gold Coast event, which I talk about the DC community quite a bit on this this podcast and that's actually kicking off today as well. So excited to be celebrating not only with my local friends, but also some friends that have flown in for the event. No, I'm excited for it. <laughs> so we met at DCBKK, the event in Bangkok in October. And I think we met at a, a group meetup that was around the topic of online courses. And during the course of that meetup, I heard about a presentation that you had delivered that people were raving about. And in that presentation, you were talking about how you had built a side hustle to 100K a month within the space of two years. And so I really wanted to get you on to the podcast to talk about how you went about doing that. So before we jump into that, could you give just a little bit of background about who you are and also what your business is? Absolutely. So I'll, I'll give you a background about my entrepreneurship, and then we'll talk about my my business itself. So I, I guess I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. So my my grandma immigrated. Well, immigrated. It's it's kind of like the wrong way. She was a political refugee from Vietnam. So it's, they escaped the Vietnam War after it ended, and pretty much had to escape through any means that they could to land to the United States. And so when they landed, my my grandma didn't speak English. They came with my uncles and my mom. No one spoke English, so they had to take a lot of service type jobs. So they're working in, for example, air, airport airlines. They were working as, let's say, at restaurants, whatever they could to, to make minimum wage. But eventually my, my family decided, well, we're, we have a family of five to feed. We probably should start a business. And uh, pretty much that's how the entrepreneurs started in my family. It's like no one at the time went to college. And they were just like, well, let's just put together a business. The business was very simple, which is brick and mortar store about how to do nails. But it was a, I learned a lot from my grandma watching her become an entrepreneur because she had to go through the struggle of being in a new market she didn't understand, 
being a first-time entrepreneur, not being educated, not knowing it, how she was going to make money tomorrow, figuring out the sales, the marketing, the retention, all that. And so I really looked up my grandma. And so like, a lot, I joke about this, but a lot of Asian uh, parents will say, oh, you're, you should be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. My, my grandma grew up saying, oh, that's boring. You should be an entrepreneur. <laughs> so <laughs> so that, that's how the uh, entrepreneurial bug uh, got me. And then so I grew up, my, my family, the, the businesses are doing okay now, but when we were growing up, they, they were pretty struggling. And so we, to make ends meet, I would also take a lot of odd jobs. So for example, in high school, I would clean tables. In college, I played poker to pay money for my mom to take care of her. And so I always had this entrepreneurial bug, but I just never knew how to capitalize on it. So I actually started a bunch of businesses in, since I was as young as 18. And I will tell you, like all seven of them failed except for one. And then so my track record as an entrepreneur is actually pretty poor. And then <laughs> so it's it very surprising that my, my latest business worked, but I'll, I'll summarize it, but I ended up going to college. If we tack for that, we'll talk about college, but ended up working for a company called Bain & Company after I graduated in 2015. And so Bain & Company is one of the big management consulting companies in the world. And it'll tie in back to what we do. But for anyone who's not aware, management consultants are basically like SWAT teams for business. Like if you have a problem you can't solve, you hire a consulting firm to come in and they consult for you on, in this case, business and management. And so I worked there for two years before leaving to work at an education company down in Los Angeles. So they were a startup in the education space. So I took a pay cut to do that. And for a while, we weren't actually profitable. So eventually we would grow and we'll tackle some of the, the, the topics because I learned so much from them. Within the scale of a year, this, uh, this business is a startup in LA. We went from non-profitable making six figures to making like over eight figures to, uh, and we were profitable. So I learned a lot during my time there, helping them scale to that massive scale within a year. But while they were not profitable and I was still helping my mom and supporting my parents back home, I decided to start a small business on the weekend. So the business is called My Consulting Offer. Actually, for the first year, we actually didn't have a name. So like, there's a lot of things I don't think we needed. And the name wasn't one of them. And it was just in, uh, in my in my living room, in my bedroom on the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, it was basically very simple, which was I wanted to help university students and recent graduates get jobs in management consulting. So the same job I had when I left university myself. And it was very simple as in the business was just two things, which is one, how do I help people get the interview? So helping them with their CVs, their resumes, their cover letters, and then helping them pass the interview. So basically being a mock interviewer for them, talking about the areas they need to work on, their questions, how they presented themselves, stuff like that. And that was pretty much the business was help people get interviews and management consulting, help them pass the interviews. And at the time, uh, the average success rate in the industry was about 2%. We, we were getting up roughly, when I first started, roughly about 95% to 100% that first year. So that's pretty much how the how the business started. It was just in my in my living room. And we did that for, for a while before I went full time. That's an incredible story. I actually have so many questions to ask you uh, just from what you've talked about there. Before we dive into how you grew my consulting offer, I actually want to, I've got a couple of questions for you just going back to some of the decisions you made before that. So you grew up in an entrepreneurial family and you made the decision that you to go to college and then to go into management consulting. And was your intention always that you wanted to be an entrepreneur because you mentioned the the seven businesses and if so why did you decide management consulting as your first job out of college absolutely as in so just a little bit of background how i ended up in management consulting was so the, the community i grew up in so as i mentioned my grandma and my mom they, they immigrated together they were political refugees so when you're a political refugee in the united states you don't get to 
pick where you live. It's just kind of like they tell you where you can and you just go. So it's not like you say, I want to live in Beverly Hills. It doesn't not work that way. And so we ended up growing up in an area outside of on the East Coast in a state called Georgia. So not the country, but the state of Georgia and in, in a little town outside the capital. And it was one of the poorest communities in the U.S. So I think last census, we were about one in five or one in four lived in poverty. So that's the, the high poverty line there. And so when, when we were down there, I didn't have many mentors, like many people didn't go to college in my community, as in we were, a lot of us were also refugees, we were minorities, we, our school system was actually called the worst school system in the US for a long time. <laughs> so it, it's kind of like, it, it, we had a saying that people go to jail, not to Yale. <laughs> and uh, that, 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 that seeps in me. And uh, so growing up, there weren't many mentors. So when I, when I went to university, I, I wanted to have as many mentors as I could do it. So what I did was every time I would read a book, like let's say I read the, a Tim Ferriss, the uh, Tools of Titans or Four Hour Work Week or whatever book I would read, I would try to reach out to that person and just say, I wonder if I can just somehow have lunch with them. And I reached out to over 100 or 200 people during my time in university. And a couple of them, uh, one of them was Susan Cain, who wrote the book Quiet, The Power of Introverts, which is also one of my favorite TED Talks of all time. And she decided to take me on and I ended up working for her for, for about two years. And I told her about my entrepreneurial goals and she was starting a business about how to empower introverts. And I and at the end of the summer, she and a bunch of other people I worked with, but who were my mentors at the time, just said, hey, David, seems like you want to be an entrepreneur. I was like, absolutely. I, it's like, I know what it's like to not have money. I know what it's like when you get evicted from your home because my mom and I had got evicted many, many times. I know what it's like not having electricity. So it's like being an entrepreneur, worst case scenario is I just bum in someone's couch. And so I said, I, I want to take that risk if I want to create some value in the world. And she said, you know, Davis, you're going to be great. You definitely have a hustle and energy to you, but you should probably go and get some structured training. So that's where management consulting came in, where it's like management consulting, people describe the training as it's kind of like having military training for business. It's kind of like they're very strict, very disciplined. You're working like 70 hour plus weeks. You're being asked to go to meetings. You have to dress professionally. There's like a code of conduct. And so she said, you know what, Davis, you're, you're probably not going to fit in very well just yet, but just go into consulting for two years and learn it. And then you're going to be a better entrepreneur after the fact. So that's how I ended up going into management consulting was uh, three of my mentors. So Susan being one of them just told me, hey, you should go into management consulting. And I said, well, if these three people are all entrepreneurs I respect and they think I should go into management consulting, there must be something about that. So I went back my senior year and went in. That's, that's really interesting. And I thought it was important to ask that question. There's some similarities with my background around that. So I always knew that I wanted to run businesses. And I worked at a big accounting firm for three years, one of the big international firms, for the same reason, to build a skill set to learn how to do things professionally with the idea that I would go and run businesses later. And I think it, the, the reason that I asked that is because I think that when you your goal is to be an entrepreneur, a lot of what you do in the early years is around learning and building your skill set. And you don't have to, from day one, build the ideal business. It's a career like being a doctor or or, uh, being a carpenter or or something else. So the follow-up question I had around that was related to your decision to take a pay cut and leave management consulting and move into the education business. And what was your thought process there? Absolutely. So a good mentor of mine at at Bain would tell me that everyone eventually leaves their their job at Bain because the turnover rates are roughly about two years. So I was like right at the crux of it. And the 
in a mental set, there's there's two ways you can leave Bane. Either Bane pushes you away, as in there's something that goes terribly wrong, or you just don't enjoy it, or something pulls you away that really attracts you. And as I mentioned earlier, as my, my school system was actually called the worst school system in the U.S., which is like absurd when you think about there's over 100,000 school systems. How are you ranked at the bottom? And I always knew that my, my path to university and having the career at Bain was was a, a thanks to my my teachers and those who supported me back in my home community. So I knew I wanted to go back into education. And so at the time, I was just constantly always looking for my next opportunity. So I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I remembered Susan's advice as well as my mentors from university who said, well, learn from other people who know what they're doing before you make the jump. And so I thought my next jump would be, let's make a small transition, not quite go start my own business yet, but let's jump into someone else's business where there were like essentially five criteria I was trying to meet. One was that I would have to, one, join a company where the founders were previously successful. So they knew exactly what they were doing so I could learn from them. Second, there was a culture that I actually enjoy working at. So it wasn't feel like I was working long days with people I didn't enjoy. Third is that I would be in a role that would allow me to grow the company. So it was a very central role. The fourth one was that I actually enjoy the product. And then fifth is that they were showing signs of growing. So as a result, I would have more and more responsibilities at the startup. And so I kept a tab of, I think an Excel sheet, I think of maybe like 50 companies I was tracking that were in the education tech space. And this particular one, Jump Cut, stood out because they were essentially combining online courses and they were trying to be like the Netflix of education at the time, which is how do we make education entertaining? And they were founded by serial entrepreneurs who had launched successful seven-figure businesses before. So I knew I was going to learn a lot. And it was a small company at the time. So I was still joining early on. So that was what catapulted my jump was that I loved the people with the leadership team, the founding team. And they were, and once I visited them, I was like, wow, I'm sold. As in, I, I want to be part of this vision of yours to be to grow this business and to change the world of education. And so that's why I made the jump. It was more, it was less of an impulse with more of a, well, I knew Davis was eventually going to transition to someone else's company to learn the ropes before I start my own. But let's find one where I knew I was going to learn the skills that, I would want to have as an entrepreneur down the road if it's two years, 20 years, whatever year down the road. Yeah. No, I love that. And it sounds like you were optimizing for learning rather than for money in the beginning and also trying to align yourself with people who had already done something that you were going to do so you could learn about that process. And I believe you started my consulting offer while you were working in that role. So could you talk through what it looked like in terms of how did you actually decide what you were going to sell? I think you have a framework around how you can quickly validate a product or a service. <laughs> could, you, could you talk through what that framework is, but also how you applied that to actually figuring that out for yourself, what, what your product or service was going to be? Absolutely. So I'll, I'll talk about the framework, but I'll talk about a fire that I had to put out in order to to move fast with that framework, which is that I, I moved down to Los Angeles. So joined Jump Cut, loved the companies, like one of the best companies I think anyone could ever work with. And at the time, as I mentioned, we weren't profitable and I was still living in California. So I was still paying California taxes, rent, and I was still supporting my mom back at home. And so when I took that 40, 45% pay cut to work there. I My idea was that either one, jump cut was going to quickly grow and then my salary can grow. Or two, I would have to find a business on the weekend to, to supplement. But it wasn't too hard until one day, one of my family members had a operation that cost about $20,000, $21,000. And that I needed to pay off. And all of a sudden, I didn't have that money in my savings. I was like, oh, shoot, I actually have to pay this medical debt. And then my parents, very bad with health insurance. And so 
well, U.S. healthcare system in general. But so anyone who's not watching this where but podcast from the U.S. just take their their healthcare system there. But the U.S. healthcare system didn't do us any favors there, and. The, so that was the fire that I needed, which was so now you have this $20,000 USD debt. What are you going to do with that? And so I needed to quickly validate a business. And as I mentioned, I have had like six businesses fail. One that was kind of successful, but not as scale that would pay off 20000 And so the framework I used was very simple, which was within a weekend, I would try to validate different ideas. And I had a saying, which is that it's not science, you need clients. And when I say clients, it could be like customers, users, whatever it is. But I just needed people to start paying me. And so what I did was I made a list of ideas that I thought could be helpful. And it usually revolved around three things, my hypothesis, which was one, what's a problem that exists that people are trying to actively get a solution to? Like, for example, there are books trying to solve it. There are forums. People are actually spending time and money trying to solve it. Second, one that I can actually build a business around, like I actually have the skill set to do it. And then three, one that would actually I enjoy in the long term. Because I was thinking long term there, and so previously, how I learned this lesson was back in back a couple of years earlier, before before this venture, I I was invited to speak at TEDx, which is one of the highlights of my my public speaking. And a, a lot of people read up to me and said, "Hey, Davis, I would love to speak at TEDx." So to me, I thought, "Oh, wow, people probably want to learn how to speak at TEDx. So what if I make an online course about this?" And so I ended up spending months creating this online course, and then I tried to launch it, and then nothing. No one bought it. So I basically lost time. I lost money. I actually bought a site to host all of this. It's like went to crap. As I wasted three months. This is like before I moved to Jump Cut. And so I didn't want to repeat that same mistake. So what I do is when I start a business that I quickly validate it to figure out if people are willing to to buy it. So what I'll do is I'll go and find a community of these people who are talking about the service and the problem and then just be a member of it try to solve people's problems so the, the framework i use is very simple it's like on friday i literally will find a forum so in in the case for my consulting offer it, it was all about management consulting which is actually the first item on my list to do i was like well let's give it a try so i try to find communities and there was one community online on reddit called reddit sub subreddit consulting and I just started, there are people asking for advice on their resume, on their interview skills. So I just started contributing. And then a bunch of people reached out to me, like just organically, just direct message my, my user account on Reddit. And I just said, hey, how about we get on the phone to, to talk about it? And then we, we would just talk on the phone. I would provide a ton of value for like 30 minute call consultation. And then at the end of it, I would literally ask the question of, if I had a paid program, would you be interested in learning more? And that's how I gauge the interest is that if they said no, there's no interest. But if they said yes, I'm on to something. But even better is, remember, it's not science, you need clients. And I just say, great. So the, the price of the program is X. Would you like to join? And I'm only going to hold the spot for today. Would you like to join? And I find that money speaks louder than words. Like people could say that they want your service, but until they actually put the money down, you don't really have a business. So as a result, what I ended up doing was having people commit. And once I people committed, so I said to myself, if I can get 12 clients with this service over this weekend, I'll run with the business. If not, I'll just refund everyone's business. And long story short was that the 12, first 12 calls, all people enrolled. So that taught me that my price was way too low. But also second, I think I had a viable business. And that's how my consulting offer started. But had I not gotten the 12 signups, I would have gone to the next idea, then the next idea, then the next idea until eventually I would find one that works. But it all starts with finding a community of people who are very passionate about solving the problem at hand and providing them a ton of value and then asking them to essentially transfer cash for you in exchange for helping them solve the problem. 
And so were you taking payment on the call or were you getting a commitment for them? Were they physically, you know, giving you their credit card details? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. As in, even been in, in day one, actually, funny enough, I, I, in hindsight, I should have set up a credit card portal for it. But in the beginning, I literally just took Venmo or PayPal because it's like I did not want to bother with Stripe or anything like that because I was just really validating an idea. So I was taking commitment on the call. And if sometimes people need it like a couple hours or 24 hours, then that's totally fine. But I needed to validate everything by the end of the weekend. So it was like, Friday when I started interacting, Saturday when I have the calls, and then by Saturday, Sunday, hopefully we have those 12 people enrolled. And can I ask what your price point was, if, if you're comfortable sharing, when you were making those initial sales? Yeah, absolutely. So funny enough, back, back then, the, the price was then at, at 1000 So it was just yeah. me needing to know, like, if I knew I had 10 people, it would be 12000 at the at the time. And then obviously our prices have gone up since then. But by then, I just needed validation. And it's like the fact that, pe- that 12 people just said yes immediately and then or within a couple hours really spoke that uh, our price point was low. <laughs> yes. But also, the, I mean, I love that story. It also shows that you had enough value, you gave enough value and it was enough of a pain point that without having a brand, a, a company, a website, any of that, it was literally you providing value on that call. They were willing to part with $1,000. So. Yeah, love that. So what did it look like after that? So you over the weekend, you validated the idea. You saw that people were willing to pay for it. So what did you do next? So the next thing I obviously had to do was figure out, again, what their pain points were. So I actually had to build a product on the go. So uh, instead of building it all like I did in the TEDx videos, what I did was I decided let's just do it in batches. So, for example, in our in, in the management consulting or the job hunt space, it's get the interview, pass the interview. So I decided to divide the program into essentially four weeks. I think it, there's nothing magical about four, but it's like two of them were spent about getting the interview. Two of them were about spent about passing the interview. And uh, so every week I would just get on a group call and then have one-on-one calls afterwards to figure out what their pain points. I would come up with a couple of slides about things I would teach, but a lot of the materials people were just asking questions about. And so people would ask these questions and I would build it up. And so in the beginning, I was just trying to build essentially a minimal viable product. And just in the beginning, it was just literally a Zoom call uploaded on YouTube. That was how simple our, our first online course was. And then with the coaching, but I basically just helped them everything I could. So I will say that my, my, if, after two rounds of it, I was able to pay off the medical debt. But in the beginning, I, if, if you really looked at it, I probably would have made more money as an Uber driver just because I spent so much time <laughs> per person. But it's like you needed that initial results to validate everything else. So I knew people were paying me. So the second part was just the fulfillment. So I did everything I could to help them get the results I promised. And then at the end of it, collected testimonials, which today I think is like the biggest asset outside of our people that we have is the testimonials. Because when people go to our page, nowadays we have nearly 100 testimonials. And they can just go through the the page and see that, wow, there's a real results, real people who are recording themselves on video saying, I can actually look up their LinkedIn. I can actually find them on Facebook. These are oh, all the all the all the ways that you could prove that these are actually real results. And so I collected the testimonials, but did everything I could. And I calculated my earnings. I think it was like five to seven USD per hour. So again, I could have made more as an Uber driver. But that initial push gave gave us the viral or not viral, viral within the, the community, which is that we people started referring me to other people just before I did paid ads or anything. And that's how the business took off on, on the weekends was just going through and providing a great service. And people say, hey, you got to talk to my friend Davis or you have to talk to my coach Davis. You have to talk to my mentor Davis or whatever it was that they called me. And that's how we, we spurred the business in the beginning was just being really great to our current clients. Yeah. 
That really makes sense. And so at what point did you decide, all right, it's time to get a company name, time to get a, a website, and where did you take it after the the you mentioned doing two cohorts or two groups of students. And I think we went from zero to about $3,000 per month. So what did it look like scaling from there? And then also at what point did you decide that you needed to get things like a company name or a website? <laughs> Absolutely. And I say bad about this place, like company name, I probably need a bookkeeper, probably need all of these things. <laughs> and so funny enough, I, I actually did not decide to do that until I, I would, I would, it was actually about a, a little less than a year and like 11 months in. So the first time is in when people ask me, hey, do you have any testimonials? I would literally use our testimonials. I would send them a Google Drive folder and I had all our testimonials. And then if people asked about the program, it was just literally a PDF that I would send them. No website or anything, just a PDF. And because, again, I didn't have time. I was just doing this on Saturday and Sunday on top of the full-time job, Monday through Friday. So I just didn't have time to even upload a WordPress site or anything like that. And because we didn't need it. No one ever asked for a website for the first one. But as we grew up, roughly around month a, 11 months in, that is when I started thinking, hmm, we should probably speak at universities. And so to start that, they actually did need a website. So my, my first website was actually just a landing page, like basically about us page with some video clips and so forth from YouTube. And it was like nothing fancy at all. It was just literally a landing page. It wasn't even hosted by WordPress or anything. It was just literally put up a page really quickly. And eventually a... Eventually, we had to do our taxes and so forth. And the the CPA who I was working with said, hey, David, you should probably get an LLC. I was like, yep, I should probably get an LLC. And then, of course, when you get an LLC in the U.S., you, have, you can't defer your name. You have to pick a name. So I was like, all right, team. Or at the time, I had a bunch of contractors. I was like, all right, which, which name of these do you guys like? And they're like, oh, my consulting offer, great. So I always thought I could change the name. Turns out it's very complicated to change your LLC <laughs> name. And so that's how we got my consulting offer. It wasn't like something scientific. It was just more, all right, all right, my consulting offer. Oh, crap. All right. Well, .org is available. Let's just take that. And then, uh, so we ended up taking that and that's how we ended up getting a website, which was that at the point of need and then taxes, same idea it was the point of need for all these credit card bookkeeping. It was made at the point where I needed to be able to go to the next level, but not before I needed it. I think that's a mistake that a lot of newer business owners make. It's, it's focusing on the wrong thing. So spending months on a website when probably that you're going to iterate your product or your service and there's going to be a lot of changes so focusing on getting customers and, and being really clear about what problem you're solving is super important but it's sometimes hard to do it's easy to focus on uh, what's my logo going to look like or what color scheme are we using but those things don't matter so I, I love this lesson that you can scale up a business without a website for I think you said for the whole first year so yeah, first year we uh, we we reached we reached six figures, so not six figures a month, but we reached six figures within a year with just no website. It was just a Google form, Google Docs, and a PDF. So, yeah. <laughs> and you mentioned hiring or when you were coming up with that name that you had a team of contractors. So, what did that look like? At what point did you decide to bring on contractors, and who? So, what was their role? What tasks were they helping you with? Absolutely. So uh, after we started earning some money and we passed the 3K per month average across time, one, one of the things that I wanted to be able to do was to think about 
how do we, how do I free up my time? Because I was only working on this on the weekend. So Saturday, Sunday. And of course I realized I was doing a couple of things that, for example, I was doing, there were a couple of people were reaching out for like questions to answer emails. There were essentially me making sure that certain emails went out at certain times. And of course we didn't have software or anything like that. I was keeping it low operations. And it comes like, for example, reaching out to universities to speak. And I realized the first person I needed was to free up my operations time. So from, from for example, answering emails and so forth. So the first person I ever hired a contractor was just a VA for a virtual assistant for me and just to free up a couple more hours out of my weekend. And so she was also working a full-time job. So she just wanted a job on the weekend. And so she became my first, my first contractor was just to free up some time so I could do more coaching, more call it sales calls and more marketing. And then that went on. So she was my first and only contractor for a little bit. And then later on, about over three, four months, business started growing. And I was like, oh, crap, I don't have enough time. Like all I literally was working 12 hours, 12 to 14 hour calls per day, per weekend. So like 28 hours of straight calls, like <laughs> all lunch. I literally would, would buy my lunch in the morning at the breakfast place I would go to. And it would just have like double sandwiches or whatever, because I literally only had like <laughs> and then back, lunch. back to your full-time job on Monday. Exactly. I was just so exhausted <laughs> on that one. So that I realized, okay, so the next thing I need to do was like fulfillment. So it's very similar to what you and Ben realized when you were doing Bean and Jazz. Like essentially you just needed to be able to hire people out to do some of the the work itself as well and so we did the same thing which was how do we how do i operationalize my fulfillment so the first role that i hired out contractors were just for coaches and so i was very strict on the first people i hired because these are like this is basically we didn't have a name at the time it was like this is still in the first year and so I, I would have people go through the ringer. I would look at reviews and so forth before I even hired any contractors. But I ended up hiring contractors who were former consultants themselves who were looking for a side income. So in the beginning, it was like students who were going back to business school who had worked at these prestigious firms and getting a degree. So it was a win-win. They had time. They wanted the cash. And I had the clients. But I wanted to make sure that it was a they were as good or better than me. So I had to have guidelines. We've since grown out an entire curriculum. So we have this, but in the beginning, I was just monitoring everything. It's almost like I was replicating the work. It's like the analogy I like to use was, it's almost like I was hiring a babysitter, except I would watch the babysitter babysit. So it's just like so <laughs> redundant. And so that, that, that was a like learning for me that I needed to let go. But that was the first thing we did was I had a bunch of coaches to do some of the coaching with me. So then that reduced the number of the coaching sessions I had so I could focus more on the marketing and eventually figuring out people to write on the sales calls. And that's how I went with my time. So that was my first contractor was the VA. Then we had the coaches and I was all within the first year. Eventually we would hire more contractors for like other operations role, a project coordinator, and eventually a sales team. But in the first year, it was basically just all operations and fulfillment. Yeah. And Liv, you've got a framework for deciding what sales channel to focus on too. So where you spend your time and, and looking at the impact of what different sales channels will be. So could you talk about the framework and then how you decided what I think you described your, your early sales channel, which was jumping on a call with so commenting in communities that had a, a group of people that were interested in your offer, jumping on a call and then at the end of the call presenting the offer. Did you keep using that strategy? And then at what point did you then start to test other sales channels? And how did that fit into the framework? Absolutely. So I'll, I'll walk through the framework and then we'll walk through the example. Great uh, great question. So so the framework I have is essentially, I'm going to take people back to their, their math school days here. Is imagine an X and Y plot axis, so a two by two matrix for anyone who's aware of that. But basically you have an X axis and a Y axis. So the X axis is essentially for me thinking about 
how much time is it going to take me to implement this? So how much time? Again, I'm working weekends. So ideally, I want to be on the right-hand side of it, which is it takes very little time <laughs> to, to implement. And then the the y-axis on the side which is going to be the impact. So high impact means high up, and then low impact means down to the lower side of the y. And of course, if you imagine this two-by-two matrix, what you want to aim for is you want to aim for things that are low time commitment, but also high impact. So that is the goal that you want to do is things that can immediately have an impact on your business. In this case, for me, it was how do I grow my profits or how do I grow my my results for the clients I'm working with and how do I do it in a minimal amount of time? And so that's how I think about a lot of decisions, especially the first two years of our business when we we're when I was just working on it part time. And so I would I would think about the ideas like, for example, let's take one of the ideas that, that someone presented, which was that, hey, Davis, you know what? You know, it'd be great if you can form a formal relationship with these firms. And these companies that you're trying to hire, like be a headhunting model. And I was like, yeah, that could be, as in that would give it access. But I realized that's going to take a lot of time to do, to build these relationships because I didn't have many of these. So it would be on the left-hand side. And the impact was probably going to be low because why do they need me when they already have access to like the Harvards, the Oxfords, and so forth of, of the world? So that would be like the opposite of what I want, which is going to be high time commitment, low impact. So ideas like that, I would boot out. And of course, there are other items that were high impact, but also but took a lot of time. Like for example, SEO. We actually didn't start SEO until the end of 2019. And so SEO for me was also a high it was a high impact item. So it's like high on the Y, but it was also on the left hand side of time because it takes a lot of time for anyone who's in the SEO space for it to kick in, especially if you have a new website. So that was out. So that only left the the last thing, which was the Things that are quickly, but either high impact or low impact. So I was thinking about things that were high impact and high time. So at the time, I knew Reddit was working for us. But one of the things that took a lot of my time was I had to go in there and post one-on-one by myself. And that took a lot of time to generate leads. So then Reddit came to me and they said, hey, you want to run some Reddit ads? And I was like, oh, geez, I didn't know Reddit had ads. So then, all right, I'll give it a try. And then the, for anyone who's in the ad space, the CPM for, for Reddit ads at the time was about $1.12, which is like insane when you compare it to like Facebook, which is like $40. So that's like you can get it for uh, essentially 98% cheaper. So I was like, all right, let's take it. And so, and it's targeted. So I decided to set up a Reddit ad and it took literally took me less than two hours to set everything up because Reddit ads are very simple. It's just, what's your headline? What's your call to action link? And then do you want an image? And now they have a video, but it's like, what is those three things? And you can set all that up really quickly. So I just basically created everything within it, used Google Forms in the beginning because I didn't have a website, remember? And so used Google Forms so people would just find me out there. And I just set the ads to run. And then all of a sudden, I was getting about like 20 people interested per day from that. And remember, in the beginning, I was just literally spending my time on these forums. And maybe I would get like maybe 10 on a really good weekend. Of people interested, but here automatically, like I'm getting 20 people submitting their interest to work with me on, on Reddit of all places. And I didn't have to do it automatically. I just have to spend a couple of dollars on it. So it just became a very easy platform for me. And so high impact, low time. And we continue to do that iteratively every single year when I'm thinking about what platform or what channel for us to explore next is. And I do this for not just sales, but hiring for operations for projects we take on is what's going to provide us immediate impact for the lowest time that we can commit. So it's the same thing with our school relationships as we think about what schools have our ideal audience, our ideal clients, but also they are willing to work with us. So it doesn't take that much time to, to basically tell them that this collaboration is going to work versus like a school where 
it's like the opposite, which is that they have a lot of gatekeeping processes and then the audience isn't really relevant to what we want to do. So I use this two by two matrix for pretty much a lot of decision making in my life. Yeah, because it's easy. So many people give you advice when you're running a business. Oh, you should do YouTube. Oh, you should do SEO. And it's easy to feel overwhelmed or feel like you have to do all of those strategies. So I think having some kind of framework to make decisions about what's going to have the biggest impact for your business and also assessing what basically what the return on investment is, what, what's the time required or the resources required is super helpful. So we'll come back to your story and you've taken us through how you started and then how you started, so how you got product market fit and the way that you started to scale that and build out your team of contractors. And now I'm interested in what what does the what did the business look like when you you scaled it to a hundred thousand per month? And this was back in 2019, I believe. Yep, back and, last year. <laughs> yeah. And then once you've answered that, if it looks any different now. So, so what did it look like as a 100000 a month business? Yeah, so uh, when, we, when we met back in, in Bangkok in October, so at, at 100000 I will tell you, okay, so the, the question I always, uh, people ask the, the question of how does it look like, but I'm going to preface it by saying you don't need to get to this big, as in I will tell you, it does take a lot more. You could, you could do it with software and so forth, but we have a essentially a coaching consulting business, so it's a little different. But just make sure that I, I would ask anyone who's thinking about scaling, do you really want this? Because I'll, I'll tell you what we're doing right now. So if you compare myself to year one, when I first started this back in 2017, the it was just me. And then, of course, I had a VA who took care of email support. But fast forward two years and you essentially have these pods of teams. So right now, at, at, 100, at last year, what it looked like was we had a sales team of three people. We had a operations team of many people, contractor plus a operations manager to look over everything. And then we also had a stable of contractor coaches, all part-time, who were voting a couple hours per week to the coaching the, our, our clients and make sure that we can get interviews and offers. And that was pretty much the stable of it, is that I wasn't doing the coaching or the sales or the operations of it, but I was still managing people. And that was a lot of people to manage. So I will tell you, like, for example, when one of our coaches in the middle of our busy season was her his father was involved in a car accident so obviously he needs to go across the country to go be there but of course but his clients also have interviews that week so i'm over here like calling coaches to see who could fit in their schedule their needs transfer the knowledge and everything like that so it is as you grow that it your the type of problems you also encounter also grows so that's how the business works which is that i learned to remove myself from the coaching from the sales and from the operations of it. So I was focusing mainly on the, the marketing part of the business and just managing each of the, the teams. And that's how it that's how I looked last year. And how it looks right now about, well, where are we? About four or five months after the event is that we're still growing. And then I went back to the drawing board and thought about, hmm, how can we get, generate more interested potential clients? So we did that and we actually... Some of the things that were on our matrix last year, the two by two, that took a lot of time. Now, didn't take as much time since I have a team now. And so they, it moved over from long time commitment to short time commitment. And I was able to last month test a bunch of channels, a bunch of uh, different ad channels. Like I said, I like to do things that take a lo- little time to invest, but I could quickly find out if the ROI is positive or not. So I've been talking about the successes, but there's been a lot of failures in things that are short term. But let's say the impact was pretty low. So we, but we discovered one channel that worked really well for us. And then we, we decided to scale it. But the amount of problem was that people were waiting two to three weeks to talk to us. And for anyone who does any consultation type sales or accounting or lawyers and things like that, you'll know that if you have someone schedule a call two to three weeks out, 
their chance of showing up dramatically decreases because it's like no longer like they're like, who are you? And so I am back on sales, the sales teams currently right now until we continue to grow it out. So it's a good problem to have, but it is a problem. And what's next for you? Where where do you want to, is there something that you're aiming for uh, revenue wise or team size wise, profit, not that you need to share numbers, but how do you set those targets in terms of where you want to be in the future? What, what are you thinking about? Yeah, so this is maybe me not being as good as you are with the numbers and and knowing a, a end goal. But I, my my goals are pretty qualitative. Uh, so there's like three goals I have, and uh, one of them's external to the company, one's internal to the company, and one is internal to myself. So e- externally to the company is I want us to be the number one resource that people go to when it comes to being able to become a management consultant. So it's kind of like when people think of being ninjas, they they think. This is the standard of bookkeeping and making sure that it's stable. I want that for our industry, whereas like people go to us and they recognize us as the, the the leader of our industry. And my joke is that one day I want us to be so good that some of the firms that we that we help place people either want to work with us or they're like, screw you, Davis. We're changing how we do our interview process just to screw your company over. <laughs> So, so that, that, that's the goal. And of course, it means that invest. So this year, for example, we're spending a lot of time investing in R&D into our curriculum, training our coaches and making sure that we have the, a better platform, better materials. And we've gone a long time since YouTube and Zoom. So I want to make sure that we continue to evolve that. And then so that's the external goal. The internal goal is I actually want to empower my team. It's less about the money, but it's more about how do I empower my team to step up and and take a leadership role, like be the head of product, be the head of operations, be the head of our marketing, sales, and so forth. And that, that's the next step is internally, I want to empower my team. I feel like this is the best place that I've ever worked. And then the internal goals to me, and so this is more more me, but a lot of people don't know this, but a lot of, a lot of the profits we actually make, like even last year we, we made during the 2019 year, I actually donate to creating schools. So I, like I said, I really care about education. And the, the summer before I started working at Bain and after I graduated from university, I, I actually volunteered at a number of nonprofits across the world. And a lot of them were about building physical schools, like picking up a hammer, cement, things like that. And so a lot of the profits we make are after expenses for the team, like my, I guess my take of it, I would actually donate to starting scholarship funds, to nonprofits, because I, I, I realized how lucky I was going back to my grandma, that my grandma decided to to escape Vietnam, to go to the U.S., to start a better life so that I could eventually go to university. So I want other people to have that opportunity, even if they're living in a remote village in Laos, for example. And that's pretty much what my mission is. As this, the business becomes more successful, is that we're able to outfit more schools, sponsor more schools, and to be able to provide an education, a better opportunity for people who otherwise wouldn't have this opportunity. So it's kind of like I want to play the role of helping people create opportunities for themselves and just to give them an equal footing, because I always say to myself every day I wake up, like, you know what it's like being a business owner. It's like highs and lows. Like, we're talking about my highs now, but there's just so many lows about being a business owner that we don't talk about. As in, we, we always talk about the glamorous parts, but if you look at my day-to-day, a lot of it's not glamorous at all. And it's just, but I'm always grateful because I have given this opportunity to run this amazing business. And so even in my low days, I always think, wow, this was given to me. I didn't really earn it. I was just born into this. So even if we were born into like a poor community in the worst school system in the US, I was at least given a chance to succeed. So I want to help other people succeed. So that's my third goal. So hopefully that, that answers your question about where, where, I want, where the vision of this business is going. I love that. And I, I really, it sounds like you've got a, a very clear why around the business. And I like the way that you framed that in terms of what was external, what was internal, and then what was important for you. And I, I do, 
I'm interested in things like metrics and and things like targets, but I actually think it's really important to work backwards from a why. So there's no point in just having a random revenue goal. Oh, I want to be a seven-figure business or I want to be a, a, an eight-figure business unless it actually aligns with what your own why is around what your what kind of business you're trying to create, what kind of team you're trying to create, what kind of life that you want to live. And I, we have an episode where I, I talk about my own reflections on this where I think it's more revenue can be more of a vanity metric and it's important to think about building something sustainable that, that you enjoy and work backwards from what kind of life you want to have rather than having random um, metrics that you've picked because you feel like you have to. And so I think the way that you articulated that was yeah, a great example of that. So thanks for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of people who I always think about what is your why to me is still so important is that I, I know people who are mentors of mine who are multimillionaires and they're just not as happy as some of the people I've been able to meet randomly who are, let's say, the owner of a, a duck and rice store. And they're just like nowhere near in scale, but they're just so much happier in the balance in life as in, I think having a why is just so important to what you want. And it just really helps you with your low days. As in, obviously, you share a lot of it in your podcast and people can just watch it is that sometimes you wake up and you're like, oh, all the problems from yesterday. It's kind of like if you don't have that why for why you're continuing and why your purpose, then it's so easy to give up. And I think being entrepreneurs, it's that's the most difficult thing is that it's not your competitors. It's not changes in the market. It's not a complaint by one client or customer. Really, it's that mental battle that you face with every day you wake up is. And if you don't have a why for that, your your fortitude eventually goes away and then all of it just you burn out yeah absolutely 100 agree well david thanks so much for coming on the podcast you've you've shared so many really valuable insights from how you're doing things and i think they're really applicable to other business owners too was there anything else you wanted to add or any final comments that you wanted to share before we wrap up yes is one of the things I, I always think about is that just two things is that one, the fact that you're listening to this podcast or any podcast at all, just realize how grateful this opportunity is as in, again, take it from someone who basically watched my grandma's store being burnt down, being robbed multiple times. It's yes, it literally start all over again is that we're in such a great place that even the lowest moments of your low aren't that low. And there's like 99% of the world, which is they were in your position. And I think that's such a great place for us to be, but we need to be able to recognize that privilege. And then, and then the second thing is also realized too, is that when, when you're running a business, it can seem like there's a hundred million things going on. That's the theme of the business is, is how, how do we scale today is always think about, go back to the basics and think about what are the two, one or two things you want to focus on. As in, I guess one of the pros and cons is that going to a conference, you meet fantastic people. Well, for example, that's how we met, but it's like at the same time, it's almost overwhelming because people are all telling you, you need to do this, you need that, but just go back to the basics and think about what is your why and how do you get there? And so when people look at our business, like it's super simple and I, I try to keep it that way on purpose. And so just, Make sure that you don't feel overwhelmed. When you feel overwhelmed, just remember, go back to the basics. And second, just realize how such a great position you're at. Yeah, thanks so much. And lastly, if anyone wanted to get in touch with you, where's the best place, your website or are you on social media? Yeah, absolutely. I'm super easy to find. So I'll send in the, the show notes for you. But the you can contact me at myconsultingoffer.org or you can just go to my personal blog, davisswin.com. Both of those, I'm, I'm super reachable. Yeah, fantastic. Great. Thanks so much, Davis. All right. Let's wrap 
want to better understand your business, make better financial decisions, and also drive more profit? If yes, then understanding your numbers is key to achieving these goals. If you're like most business owners, you've never studied accounting and you've never been taught how to really understand the critical numbers in your business or how to use them to make effective decisions, grow revenue, improve profitability and increase cash. That's why we created the Be Ninjas Know Your Numbers course. And here's what business coach Justine Cox shared about her experience with the training. Using zero for a while, but it really helped me to know the pieces of zero that I should focus on and, and how that can help me in my business. Understanding where the numbers are at in my business is the profit first principles and that cash flow management. I can stop worrying about money because now I know exactly what I've got to spend where. I am proud of the fact that I've actually started to put away some profit. So that's been amazing. So if you're someone who might be getting overwhelmed with the idea of going into your zero file and not really knowing knowing what's going on money-wise with your business, or you just want a simple way to understand zero and finances for your own peace of mind, our Know Your Numbers course can help. You'll have a rare chance to work closely with an accountant and also have the support of other like-minded business owners who are going through the program. Head to beninjas.com forward slash know your numbers to learn more about our course and register to receive updates about our next enrollment period. That's beanninjas.com forward slash know your numbers or one word.